spellbound in darkness, sin's oppressive night, yet in Bethlehem, hope is burning bright. Mysteries are unfolding, but the only sign is a
Good morning. And Merry Christmas. It's good to see you all. Let me just uh, start with a word of thanks on your behalf to the musicians. They're not all here this morning, but they've worked very hard over uh, the last few weeks. And again, they were here early practicing this morning, so thank you. I know one of them's my wife, but I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate Dawn and Nathan as well. Then I hope that you can join us this Sunday. I'm pretty sure you don't have anywhere else to go this Sunday. So I hope that you can uh, join us here. We're having our services as normal, and our focus is going to be on Jesus. This morning, uh, we're looking at Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2, and then on Sunday morning, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 1, Jesus, Lord of the church, and on Sunday evening, Revelation chapter 5, Jesus, Lord of history. So as I said, I hope that you can join us for those. And that is our focus this morning, Jesus and all that he means to us, all that he has done for us, and all that he is. And our first song gets us right to the heart of Christmas, tells us that at Christmas, God himself came to be with us as Emmanuel. Sign shall be given, a virgin will conceive, a human baby bearing undiminished deity, the glory of the nations, a light for all to see, and hope for all.
Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that what we are celebrating today is something that can never be shut down, something that can never be taken away from us. The truth that in the person of Jesus Christ, God came to be with us. And we thank you that he came not just to sympathize with us, not just to share in our human weakness. We thank you he came to raise us out of our weakness, to open a way back to you, and to bring us to you. We thank you that Christmas is not just about remembering the past, it's about genuine hope for the future. That is the great gift Jesus has given us. Peace with God now and the expectation of perfect rest with God to come. All because of Christmas. So as we focus on Jesus this morning, will you come by your Holy Spirit and renew our hope, renew our faith, and renew our love, even as we focus on your love for us. Amen. We're going to have a Bible reading now from Matthew chapter 2. It's a passage that reminds us Jesus came to be our king, but he lived his whole life from the very beginning in the shadow of death. Matthew chapter 2. This is not a truth, this is the truth, as real as this pulpit, otherwise I really believe our hope is pointless. This is a real, true story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent, to them, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, 
they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. During the weeks of Advent, we've been lighting our Advent wreath. We've lit the three purple candles reminding us that Jesus is the King. Then the pink candle reminding us of the joy that he brings. And this morning we include the middle candle, the white one, reminding us that he is the spotless, pure Lamb of God. So Emma is going to come and light all the candles for us. So if you'll stand with me, we'll join in a prayer, thanking God for Jesus. 
We praise you, Lord God, because your word became flesh in our Savior Jesus Christ, was born of a woman, and walked among us as a man. To you, O Lord, we give our honor, praise, worship, and love. Amen. This is an unusual Christmas, maybe the most unusual Christmas any of us have ever experienced. So take a moment to think about this. What are you missing most this Christmas? What I'm missing most is visiting my parents. We had to cancel that trip last Monday. I'm sure many others had to cancel trips. And many of us would say similar things. What we're missing most is time with certain people. And even if we can see them, it's not for as long as we'd like it to be. But there might be other things you're missing. Maybe places you'd normally go. I guess we're all missing singing carols, being able to join in together. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is that whatever just came to your mind when I asked you what you were missing, the truth is, as human beings, we live our lives missing out. 
because we were made for so much more than we have in this life. And that's why Christmas happened. That's why God came to earth as a baby. He came to restore what we're missing. And to see that, I'd like you to turn, if you have a Bible, to the book of Hebrews, near the end of the New Testament. We're going to read in just a moment from Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews is a book about Jesus. In chapter 1 of the book explains Jesus' high position. He is God, the writer of Hebrews says. He is higher and he is greater than the angels. But chapter 2 of Hebrews is about Jesus being made lower than the angels. That's what happened at Christmas. And the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us why it happened. So let's read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 18. And as we read this, notice the emphasis here on why the Son of God became a human being. Why Christmas had to happen. Verse 5 is going to mention He, that's a reference to God the Father. It is not to angels that He has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus was not ashamed to call him brothers and sisters. He says, I declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might be a, become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. 
This is God's word. And as I said earlier, Hebrews is a book about Jesus. But this passage starts not with Jesus, but with us. It shows us in the opening verses the glory we are missing. As human beings in general, we tend to have quite a high opinion of our potential. We believe that we can be great and do great things. But the Bible assures us God has a much higher opinion of our potential. He made us and he knows what we were made for. And here in verses 6 to 8, the writer of Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 8. That psalm is all about the glory, the dignity, and the high responsibility God gave to human beings. It says, He crowned us with glory and honor. He put everything under our feet. And that picture of human glory didn't start with Psalm 8. It started in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. We read in Genesis 1 that mankind was made in God's image, created to rule over God's creation. Genesis tells us the creator king made us to be lords of his earth, to administer justice and peace and prosperity, to rule as creator kings and queens under the creator's authority. We were made for glory. In verse 8, the writer of Hebrews says, God left nothing in creation that is not subject to us. But we all know that is not our present experience. Verse 8 ends by saying, at present we do not see everything subject to us. And this year of all years, don't we know that's true? A virus, something so small we can't even see it with the naked eye, has turned our whole world upside down. Fear of something we can't see has changed life as we once knew it. It's made a wasteland of our plans for business, for education, for family life. This year of all years, we can see the truth that creation is not subject to us. It's not under our feet. And of course, we could widen this out beyond the virus. We can agree probably that even our own hearts are not subject to us. Right now, how many people are feeling under the feet of fear or hopelessness? For others, it might be anger and frustration that has its foot on us, pressing us down. At other times, it might be ambition, lust, or bitterness that rules over us. So never mind creation being out of our control, we can't even rule ourselves. We are a long way from the glory described in Psalm 8. 
And that is why Jesus, the Son of God, came to be one of us. That's why he took on human flesh at Christmas. That's why he entered into our situation. He came into our bleak situation to restore us to the dignity and honor we were created for. Jesus is the one who brings us to glory. The rest of this passage tells us he came at Christmas to be our trailblazer, our champion, and our high priest. And for each of these, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus had to become one of us. Only as one of us could he be our trailblazer, our champion, and our high priest. First of all, he is our trailblazer. Verse 8 has said, what we all know, we do not see creation subject to us. But, verse 9 says, we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Verse 1 shows us God's intention for us. His intention is to bring many sons and daughters to glory. God did not give up on humanity. Yes, we're a long, long way from the glory he made us for, but he was determined to lead us into glory. And to do that, he sent us a leader. Verse 10 speaks about the pioneer of our salvation. A pioneer is somebody who blazes a trail. Someone who makes a way for others to follow. And what verses 9 and 10 tell us is that Jesus has blazed a trail right through death for us. First, he was made lower than the angels, born as a baby. Eventually, he suffered death on a cross. But he is now crowned with glory and honor, waiting for us to join him. We might wonder about the statement in verse 10. It says, it was fitting that God should make the pioneer of our salvation perfect through what he suffered. We might wonder, doesn't the Bible say in other places that Jesus was perfect? Doesn't it say he was without sin? Spotless? Yes, it does say all of those things. In fact, the book of Hebrews itself tells us Jesus was sinless. But here, verse 10 is not talking about Jesus becoming better. It's not talking about him being cleansed from sin. He didn't need that. This is about Jesus perfectly fulfilling his role as our Savior. He came to earth to be our pioneer, to lead the way through death to glory. And in order to do that, he had to suffer. There was no other way to blaze the trail for us. And he did it. He went into death, crucified on a cross, 
And then he smashed out the other side of death, raised on the third day. Death could not hold him. He rose from the grave, and today he is crowned with glory and honor. And he's waiting for us to follow. Jesus is our perfect Savior because he has gone through death ahead of us. But more than that, he's not just our trailblazer, he is also our champion. It's important to see Jesus didn't just die as our example. It's not a case of, well, if Jesus can overcome death, then maybe we can take inspiration from that and try to do it too. No, verses 11 to 13 emphasize the fact that Jesus is one of us. He's our brother. As a human, he is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. We are of the same family. And that means Jesus is not just a trailblazer, he's also our champion. A champion is someone who fights on behalf of others. We don't tend to use the word in that way so much today. So earlier this year when Tyson Fury defeated Deontay Wilder, it was a great victory. But it did not mean that Britain had defeated America. It was just a boxing match. Nothing more than that. But in the past, a champion was someone who went into representative combat on behalf of their people. The most famous example is David and Goliath. That was not just two men fighting. It was representative combat. Goliath fought on behalf of the Philistines, his people. First Samuel tells us Goliath was the Philistines' champion. And David fought on behalf of his people, Israel. He was their champion. And the winner of that didn't just win a victory for himself, he won a victory for his people. His people shared in the benefits of his victory. When David defeated Goliath, Israel defeated the Philistines. And here in Hebrews, we're told Jesus is the champion of his people. The victory he won over death was a victory for us as well. Look at verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. When he died and rose, Jesus didn't simply blaze a trail through death. He defeated the one who had the power of death. And he set his people free. You and I don't need to fear death or the devil. Why? Because at Christmas, Jesus became our brother. Then at Easter, he fought our greatest enemy on our behalf. He fought as our champion, and he won. We can face the future knowing there is life on the other side of death. Jesus has blazed that trail for us. 
We can face the future knowing death and the devil are defeated enemies because of Jesus, our champion. And there's one more thing. We can face the future knowing our own sins have been dealt with. And again, in order to accomplish this, Jesus had to become one of us. Look at verse 16. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Earlier we heard from Psalm 8 about the glory we are missing as humans. And the reason we're missing that glory is not just because other people are nasty. It's not just because the world around us is crooked. We are missing out on glory because we are nasty and crooked too. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. So as wonderful as it is that Jesus blazed a trail for us, and fought as our champion. As wonderful as that is, unless Jesus also did something about our sin, we'd never benefit from his victory over Satan and over death. And we could never follow in the trail that he blazed out the other side of death. And so thank God that Jesus is also our high priest. What a high priest did was offer sacrifices to God. He did that to make atonement for the people's sin, to deal with the people's sin. But until Jesus, every high priest offered up animal sacrifices. And those animal sacrifices could never truly deal with our sin. But Jesus became one of us so he could offer himself as the ultimate once-for-all sacrifice for sins. That's what his death on the cross was. It was not a sad accident. It wasn't things getting out of control as far as God was concerned. Jesus' death was an intentional death for us. Jesus died for his human brothers and sisters. And because Jesus was God come as a human, his sacrifice was perfect. He was the pure, spotless lamb. His sacrifice was perfectly acceptable to God the Father. And so if we put all of this together, all that we've seen in verses 9 through 18, what we have is the perfect Savior. He has dealt with and done all that needed to be dealt with and done. And it all started when he arrived on earth at Christmas. A baby come to bring us to glory. So this Christmas, whatever it is that you're missing, whatever it is that you're afraid of, whatever it is that you're ashamed of, 
The good news is Jesus came to deal with our greatest fear, our fear of death, a fear that is crippling many people at the moment. Jesus came to deal with that fear. He came to defeat our greatest enemy, the devil. And he came to wash away our greatest shame, our sin. And he came to lead us into a future where we enjoy the glory we were made for, ruling the world to come under God's good authority. So today, let's focus not on what we're missing, not on what we might lose, but let's focus on what we have in our Savior Jesus Christ. Let's rejoice because the forgiveness and life and victory that he won for us can never be taken away from us. And as verse 18 says, he is able to help us today when we're tempted by fear or by despair. Jesus can help us look up as he did when he was tempted. Our Savior knows our weakness and he loves to help us in our weakness. And if Jesus is not yet your Savior, he can be. Consider the truths we've heard about Jesus today and put your trust in him. Our musicians are going to lead us now in a song calling us to come and worship Jesus. He is our brother and our king. The song is Angels from the Realms of Glory. Right. 
As you look to Jesus this Christmas, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Now I'm 